Welcome to episode number 38 of Off the Shelf. Now this old world could be a lonesome place without a friend. We need each other every day. Together we can win. There's a little good in every man, though countless be his faults. And a word of kindness you might speak could change his inward thoughts. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Do unto him as you have him do to you. Give him things that you can do without to help him live. Love thy neighbor as thyself and he will love you too. Hi, my name is Rod Bergen and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of the Off the Shelf podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to ask questions and to help you, our listener, find the answers to those questions. We want to help you know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Off the Shelf is primarily directed at followers of the message of William Branham and former followers like ourselves. Off the Shelf is now being heard in over a hundred countries, and we are glad you could join us. In this week's podcast, we are concluding our four-part interview with John Collins, the author of the Seek the Truth website. Did the Klan support William Brown? Is that another thing that comes out of this? I have identified at least two places where he was supportive. There are a lot of theories that I can, there are a lot of questionable areas that I would say are highly likely, but the biggest instance of the Klan supporting William Branham is in the story of William D. Upshaw. Yeah. <clears throat> Upshaw, uh, again, as I said earlier, Upshaw is a, one of the primary reasons that the Klan is in existence. He was, in his day, he was the prohibition leader, and he's largely responsible for prohibition existing in the United States. And he, he was, ran for president. And he ran for president. Uh, he did a lot of things. He did a lot of good things, but he did a lot of things that he somehow managed to wiggle out of that should he should not have been able to. One of those things, he um, back then, the Klan agenda had a secret code word. They felt that the separation of the blacks and the whites was so... Uh, to them, it was anti-biblical, but more than that, it was anti-American. They felt that Catholicism was anti-American. It came from Rome. They felt that the Jewish communities were anti-American. They, you know, they respect each of the people in these. They, you'll find Klan people speaking highly about other African Americans, but they like this um, this most racist pastor in America. They, they were profiling the people. Yeah. They put them in a separate lower class. Upshaw and Davis swindled the town of San Bernardino. And they, they basically started a children's orphanage, and the orphanage was funding what Upshaw called a, a school for Americanizing orphans. And what ended up happening is they, they were trying to basically fund Davis to recreate or rebirth another sect of the clan, which he eventually did. But they got caught. Upshaw left, and he he basically hid out for a few years. When Upshaw resurfaces, he comes into one of William Branham's meetings. Upshaw was a well-known, <laughs> he was the temperance leader. 
He was a well-known preacher. He had been on crutches. He, he was injured as a child. But in the early 1900s, he claims that he was healed. I think the Shreveport article is 1910, if I remember correctly. Um, there were articles later that describe Upshaw. He got a lot of mileage out of those crutches because people saw him as not just a people person, but they saw him as a humble, injured person, and the sympathy carried him to his political platform. Yeah. So he, regardless of whether he needed them or not, he continued using these crutches. And one of the people on the House floor said, got so sick of him using those crutches as, as a prop, they said, this guy is running down our aisles. His crutches aren't even touching the floor, and you people let him do this. <laughs> so, so, you know, he's he is very mobile, to, to say the least. Yeah. He, he may have not even needed the crutches. Who knows? But he enters one of William Branham's prayer lines claiming to be wheelchair invalid. And William Branham describes him being pushed up to the platform in a wheelchair, and he says, rise up. Well, the guy has been risen up since the early 1900s. <laughs> William Branham's story about Upshaw Upshaw actually published a tract in 1951 is when he said he was healed. 1952, I think he died uh, a year, you know, a year after he was healed. But uh, in the tract, he describes the process. William Branham never actually prayed for him. My understanding of the deal is, is that somebody walked out, told William Branham, hey, you didn't pray for the congressman. He said, well, go back and tell him he's healed. So this guy walks up to the microphone says William Branham says the congressman's healed boom congressman stands up so it wasn't even like when William Branham says he prayed for William for William Upshaw in a prayer line that's not what happened because if you read the story of and, and go back and we've got this detail on our website you can actually see here William Branham described that they took the microphone out and gave it to Upshaw and they have this big conversation it never happened it's yeah. complete it's it's a complete lie. Yeah, but it was an opportunity. Absolutely. You know, you look at what, <clears throat> again, Davis is trying to create evangelists. If you sign somebody up for the Ku Klux Klan, <clears throat> as early as, uh, I think, in the 1915 documents, it, it says that you get <clears throat> $8 a head. So back then, that was a lot of That's money. That was a lot of money, yeah. You know, if you do the math, you could sign up one... No, two people per month, I think it was, to maintain what the average wage. But you get a bunch of evangelists who are, you know, they're creating cult followings, but they're also signing people up for the Klan behind closed doors. Davis stood to make a lot of money. Wow. You, you asked the question about uh, John Ryan and the School of the Prophets. It, it's actually the same type of opportunity. The closest I've been able to identify John Ryan, there was a cult called the House of David that was it grew in Bitten Harbor, Michigan, and they were very popular. They were trying to spread their following about the same time that John Ryan would have showed up. I believe John Ryan was part of that based off of William Branham's descriptions, but another interesting one is the Souders cult. Yeah, William Souder. William Souter had a school of the prophets in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. And to those outside of this area, that's, for me, it's like a 15, 20-minute drive. It's not that far. But 
you take this opportunity that William Upshaw is given William Branham. He's a famous congressman. He's the leader of the uh, Prohibition, the Temperance Movement. He's a very famous person who suddenly got healed. This opportunity lifts William Branham up. You take the opportunity with the School of the Prophets. You've got all of these people who are going to be sent forth by Souders as a prophet. If they're influenced by William Branham, they become basically fertile fields that you can plant. Absolutely. So it, it all ties together. So now the FBI investigated Davis. Did that have any impact on William Branham? <clears throat> Growing up, <laughs> we I had a set of, uh, I had the collection of tapes from 1963 to 1965. And it's funny because if you, there's some, certain sects within the message that claim that those are the only inspired tapes. <laughs> Everything before yeah, 1963 yeah. is uninspired. If you look at the timeline, and if you actually study William Branham on before 63 and after 63, it's a very interesting study. It's one that, because I grew up with those tapes, and people have said this, I wanted to know, well, why are, why are they saying this? You can really tell a difference in William Branham after 1963. You can see that he's clearly shaken. He, uh, some use the phrase off the rails, <clears throat> but even those who were part of his original campaign teams just completely abandoned him. The people who were inviting him completely abandoned him. All of this happened right after the Kennedy assassination. Davis was very active in Dallas. Davis is the reason that Dallas did not integrate for it's either one or two years after they tried. Davis led all of the protests. He was helping organize them. He, he was a strong leader against the integration of African-American and white. One author claims that Davis was a shooter who actually shot Kennedy. I don't believe this, but Davis was so so deeply involved in the opposition that was in Dallas at the time of the Kennedy assassination that he was part of the criminal investigation by the FBI. So if you take, if you truly believe these people that say after 63 things are inspired, you can tell that whatever happened, it created quite a disturbance in William Branham's life. Interesting. Now, the other thing which I want to touch on before we, uh, we conclude is you've also done a lot of research into William Branham and his ties with Jim Jones. How did that come about? Whenever I started studying William Branham, I started noticing that he had different versions of the message. In the message that I grew up with, we believe that it started the very same day that Israel became a nation. Yep. Branham claimed it was 1947. This actually happened 1948. But we believe that 1947 is when the message really started. That's whenever he claimed the angel gave him commission. I came across a newspaper article where it's describing a series of healing meetings in 1945. And I realized that he had a different message. <laughs> and... Uh, I came across a pamphlet called I Was Not Disobedient to the Heavenly Vision. Yeah, we've got a copy of it on our website. 
Yeah, and if you read it, to a person who had never grew up in what we grew up with, you would think this is a completely different message. Yeah. This is a completely different person. And um, so I, I started examining this. That's the message 1.0 and, and, and 1947 <laughs> was 2.0. I don't know. Yeah, so one of the things I did not know until recently, after uh, really after I started taking trying to take a new direction of the website, I came across this split in Pentecostalism that happened in 1948. And it was, it was, it was called Latter Rain, and it was literally a wedge that was driven deep down into Pentecostalism where groups, entire organizations, chose one side or another against each other. The Assemblies of God <clears throat> was split right down the middle. And what was known as the independent assemblies of God, um, they were created before they had joined the, the assemblies, but they basically abandoned it and they became their own group. William Branham spoke against Latter Rain. And so I, I never even thought to research it until recently. He, he basically, he's condemning those people that are, that are speaking this, but he often speaks about Latter Rain. And I came across a collection of sermons that uh, somebody, I think it was Joseph Matson Bose, had this list of William Branham sermons that the, the file was named Latter Rain Sermons by William Branham. I thought, what is this? <clears throat> so I started studying, and William Branham was, he was the main catalyst for Latter Rain. One of, he was one of two. There was a book that was written by uh, Franklin Hall named Atomic Power with God Through Fasting and Prayer. And William Branham, the story of his uh, going up into Canada, the combination of this birthed Latter Rain. And William Branham tried to ride upon it. There was a, um, there was a man <clears throat> named Avak, Avak Hagopian who created a huge stir in 1947. And there was, a, there was a very wealthy man in California whose son was dying, and he had enough money to do it, so he got a faith healer from Iran to come <laughs> and pray for his son. So <clears throat> this gets publicized across the entire nation, and Avok comes to California, and it almost looks like you would think it was Jesus Christ coming to California. He's walking wearing the same robes that Jesus wore, long hair. He looks like Hoffman's head of Christ, and he comes and he prays for the boy, and he tells the father, I can heal him in two weeks. When he says this, this gets printed across the nation, suddenly 10,000 people show up in the small town, <laughs> and they've overloaded the town so much that the hotels can't hold them all, and the... Um, now, was this guy Christian, or is just some mystic? He he was a mist. He was what's called a mystic Christian, which is another subject for another day. Yeah. But he came basically. What happened is you got ten thousand people here. He was he was financially feeding off the people. Yeah. He 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 would sick people were flooding in by the thousands, and he would tell people that he would get two week. He could only pray for one a week, I think it was, or three a week. This drug on for months basically 
until the guy who who brought him there got fed up and he said he called William Branham who had just had some success limited success in a faith healing meeting Branham comes there and he prays for the boy the boy isn't healed but when he leaves town those people follow him he goes up into Canada and you find the Canadian newspapers from 1948, and they describe just an onslaught of people coming from town to town. And this attracted um, some men from North Battleford, and they came down to see this meeting. They, they describe Branham's doctrine as so irregular <laughs> that they, they basically formed a subcult of uh, Pentecostalism from it. Jim Jones... Now, these were, were the uh, Hottons? I think they were, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So long story short, to tie it back to Jones, Latter Rain took off in Canada, but through the Independent Assemblies of God, A.W. Rasmussen and Joseph Matson Bose, they were strong leaders in spreading Latter Rain. Um, they were also part of the reason why William Branham got elevated so much into fame. The message, as it was called back then, was Latter Rain. But William Branham's specific flavor of Latter Rain was called the Sons of God. Um, the manifested the Sons manifest, of God. Manifested Sons of God theology. Jones' ordination papers was signed by Joseph Matson Bose, and William Branham lifted him into power in a meeting with the People's Temple in 1956. And and you just recently found out that there was a second meeting, right? I just found that out, I think it was last week. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of a funny story because when I first discovered that William Branham held this massive campaign with People's Temple, I looked for all the sermons and where are they? They're not there. You know, they've got some of them. They don't have all of them. And no mention of Jim Jones, except no for uh, uh, editor, Blank Spot and Tape. Blank Spot and, you know, now that I know this, I've went back and studied, there are some very, very peculiar Blank Spots and Tape. <laughs> <laughs> Jones, Jones is one of them. <clears throat> so I, I published this, and I don't know if it was before or after I started asking the question where these sermons go, but at some point in time, uh, Voice of God Recordings, which is the cult headquarters, has moved some of the sermons from the um, Indianapolis campaigns from 1957 to 1956. On further examination, it looks like they moved some of them that should have remained in 1957 because of some of the things said according to the timeline. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've still not verified this, but William Branham was actively meeting with the People's Temple. Which is Jim Jones' church. Which is Jim Jones' church. He was holding, he would hold private interviews as he did with his cult followers. <clears throat> William, uh, Jim Jones himself, somebody tried to leave People's Temple. And Jim Jones says, there are things about this message that you don't understand, but it is of God. He's referring to the, the message, and specifically, he's referring to the message when it was latter rain. Which was William Branham's terminology. Exactly. Now, William Branham eventually condemned Latter Rain, but if you really examine his doctrinal stance, and if you examine Jones' doctrinal stance, and then you go examine some of the doctrinal stance of the main trunk of Latter Rain movement, 
he's not condemning latter rain as a whole. He's condemning those that did not follow his manifest sons of God theology. Interesting. Now, you've written a book about Jim Jones and the Malachi for Elijah prophecy. Tell us a little bit about your book. So in that book, I, I basically I wanted to start uh, with not just with William Branham and his connection to Jim Jones, but I wanted to show a trail of theology leading up to the creation of Jones. Because one of the things that I found in studying William Branham, like you mentioned, the School of the Prophets, there are so many different cult leaders and destructive cults that William Branham promoted. And there's so many different theologies that don't seem like the message that he promoted. So I began examining those, and I started learning that as Pentecostalism grew and some of these theologies continued through time, they're linked together by the men who created those theologies. One of the best examples uh, as it relates to William Branham's side of the Jones story, there was a cult leader named John Alexander Dowie yeah. in Zion, Zion City, Illinois. He was labeled the richest man in the West because his creation of, the, of Zion City, he created such a large cult that he, he would ask people to come in and they had to basically surrender their funds to the community. He amassed millions and millions of dollars. And William Branham claims that uh, he, he's speaking to the people in Zion City about Dowie. And he says basically that, you know, the people in Zion City thought that Dowie was Elijah the prophet. Yeah. As do the people in the message that we came out of. William Branham essentially says that he himself is the Elisha to Dowie's Elijah. He says... Dowie prophesied there would be another come, and he said Dowie was born on, well, died on one day. I was born on born the, next. the next day, which, <laughs> which wasn't quite true, but you have to, you're, you're out by a few months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And maybe years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now, what I found is interesting is certainly uh, the research that I've done. It's notable in 1955 that William Branham's ministry kind of died. Yeah. And it's interesting that he connects with Jones in 1956 and 1957. Certainly Jones wanted Branham, but did Branham need Jones? I don't believe so. However, it's an area that I, I came across a quote in one of the sermons that Branham has with Jones in the People's Temple. Um, first off, Jones was an, also an Elijah prophet, just like William Branham. Jones taught the same manifested sons of God theology that today we must have a living word or a spoken word, yeah. which is theology William Branham taught. Jones taught that he was the voice of God to his people. Manifested sons of God theology essentially was structured such that you needed a prophet guide, and your prophet was your voice of God or your new Bible. <clears throat> so I came across this quote where this woman is, she, she's in one of Jones's prayer lines, and says basically uh, he, she's speaking to him and she calls him Elijah, which started me down this, this study. But when I looked at the sermons that William Branham had in the Cato Tabernacle, it was interesting because Jones had just become ordained into 
the latter rain uh, movement mm -hmm. by Bose. Bose is present. William Branham's president. Um, F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth, all of the people that that the message today would recognize as leaders of the message, they were here, and William Branham essentially prophesized that that there's a following coming. He he says, <clears throat> I believe that God's going to pour out here in a few minutes something. I don't know whether it's going to be spontaneous spontaneous healings or whether it's going to be filling with the Holy Ghost or if it's the sending forth of a ministry. And he, you know, he's basically, he's telling the people that something's about to happen. It could be the sending forth of a ministry, but I, I came across some statements where William Branham actually talks about going off the scene. Uh -huh. And if you study the pattern of what Davis was trying to achieve, Davis was never a man out front. He would always put people under him in the pyramid structure. So Davis... When he started, he would create evangelists, and they would basically grow the clan. Well, when you're in a pyramid society, and you fill one entire row of foundation, it lifts itself up so you can build another row of foundation under them. It looks like William Branham. He doesn't need Jones, but it looks like he's at the point in his um, stature of a cult that he's trying to appoint a row of evangelists under him that basically do the work for him. Well, and see, that's my, the reason for my question, because in 1955, you know, William Branham says that his mail just dried up. Yeah. So where he's used to get tons of mail, suddenly it dried up. And this was a turning point in his ministry. And so after that, he's trying to regain his status, but he never does. Yeah. But reaching out to people like Jones to try to get some kind of increase his following, increase the scope of his ministry in some way that he'd lost and was trying to regain. Yeah, exactly. There's this connection in 1956, 1957. Does it kind of end there between Jones and Branham or did it continue afterwards or Jones just basically decided to go off on his own? Jones, he's an interesting character. Not a lot of history is known for his Pentecostal days, which is why so many have become interested in the research that I'm putting out with uh, Branham and Jones. Jones had a, a strong following during the latter rain days whenever, um, you know, Voice of Healing was printing all of these publications about um, all of these different evangelists that they were promoting. It looks like Jones himself was also an opportunist. I read the book, or read portions of the book called The Raven. Yeah, I've got a copy of the book too. Yeah, it's talking about Jones' latter rain days and his, uh, you know, William Branham elevating him into power. But whenever you study what the author of The Raven is saying, he believes that Jones was an atheist and that he was a opportunist who who basically saw this latter rain, so basically saw what William Branham was doing as a good way to make money. And I think a primary reason for this is there's an audio tape where Jim Jones is talking about William Branham, and he essentially says, William Branham doesn't believe a thing in this Bible. He told me so. Uh, Branham says, you can continue preaching like you are, but there's no money in it. So... If you study what the Raven is saying, it would look like that they separated and that there was no connection. 
I'm not certain that there was a solid uh, direct connection to William Branham, but theologically speaking, Jones continues what is what could be called a replica of the message, another Elijah ministry, late, well late into the 70s. So, so did, did Jones abandon Christianity, or did he kind of still maintain this manifest sons of God doctrine? I, my opinion is that he did not abandon what he, what he claimed was Christianity. A rather strange version of Christianity. Yeah. Obviously, when you join William Branham's cult, if you know the primary basics of Christianity, they're not really compatible. So I would agree with the author in that point, but the author is actually trying to say that Jones is an atheist and that he doesn't believe God. This is absolutely not the case. What Jones is saying that make people lead people to this assumption is he actually starts just referring to the Bible as though it's worthless. He says, you can't believe a thing in that Bible. It'll trick you. But at the same time, he's calling himself the living word, the spoken word. Yeah, yeah. He's using the same terminology that William Branham did. And if I, it's heartbreaking to go through this, but I forced myself to listen to the death tapes at the Jonestown Massacre. Jones is standing there, and people have been manipulated into drinking poison-laced cyanide. And they're pleading, please, I don't want my children to die. And Jones is telling them it's for a good cause. You know, it's, it's truly horrific. During this, one of the last things he does is he sings one of the songs that we grew up with in the message. And I came across it, and it, it just, I mean, it tears me up because I look at the children that are in the cult today, and they have the same exact setup that Jones had. They have a group of people without boundaries who are on. It's like a train going a track with no rails. You don't know where this train is going. And these people did not join the people's temple so that they could commit suicide. They joined it thinking that they were joining a Christian version of religion. Yeah, and they were sadly terribly deceived. Do you think that the message, we use the message in, I'm, I'm making air quotes with my hands, had much impact on the 1978 Jonestown Massacre? We have to identify which message we're talking about. Yeah. You know, the, the one from 1945, I've, I've studied what access, you know, what little we have access to. In 1945, the message was just simply that God can heal you. It, it doesn't have all the elements in the message that we know. Yeah. We were not aware that there was another version before us called Latter Rain, or that even that during some of Branham's sermons from 1947 to 1965 contained Latter Rain sermons. We had no idea. Jim Jones, had he not came in contact with this, would have never been lifted into the power to convince people to do this. So fundamentally, I think the message had huge impact and quite frankly enabled the Jonestown Massacre. Did William Branham directly cause it? No. I, you know, I, I think anybody would agree that William Branham would have condemned Jones had he been alive. But analysts who studied and had access to the information that we have now 
would realize that if not for the message, or more specifically the manifest sons of God flavor of the message, Jones could not have done what what he did in Jonestown. John, it has been a real pleasure talking to you, and I think we'll bring the, our discussion to a close, although we could go on a lot longer about a number of other things, and we may do so in the future. I will put links to your books and your website on the offtheshelf.life page for uh, these podcasts that we're, uh, we've just had. And uh, really want to thank you for all the work that you do in letting people know exactly what the truth is and presenting the facts so they can ultimately make their own conclusions, which is what people need to do with the facts when presented to them. So, John, thank you very Absolutely. much. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Thanks. All right. Goodbye. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you're welcome to send an email to me directly at rod at offtheshelf.life. Have a great week and thanks for listening. We need old-timey neighborhoods with hearts that's free of greed. God make us good old-fashioned folks who'll be a friend in need. If you want a friend, then be a friend. Do not from charity slack. Do your deeds without a price. Someone will pay you back. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Do unto him as you have him do to you. Give him things that you can do without too heavy.